are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Would you turn back to that last psalm, please? I want to read this psalm to you, a precious section of the Word of God that uh, you know most of us, I think, know it. Uh, we've committed it to memory a long time ago, but I want to read it to you. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of trumpet. Praise Him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise Him with the loud cymbals. Praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. It starts out and closes with the same expression, Praise ye the Lord. And that's their personal command, as far as I'm concerned, from the Word of God, that we are commanded. We don't have any choice about it. We're commanded to praise ye the Lord. One way or another, every man must, if he's obedient, praise ye the Lord. Not the preacher, but praise ye the Lord. Not the singers, but you are to praise God. Everybody is to praise God one way or another. Now, there's more than one way that you can praise the Lord. But uh, you ought to find the, the, the uh, way that you can praise God that's more comfortable to you. And then praise God in that fashion. I could never sing a song of praise. I think that's one way uh, that we can praise God. Brother Gillen uh, sang a beautiful hymn a moment ago. And if I could sing like he, then I'd do that as often times as I can. Because every time I did sing, if I could sing as he does, then I would praise God in that way. And uh, other ways that we might praise the Lord that you might incorporate and use uh, that somebody else might not be able to use very freely. But all of us, one way or another, ought to praise God. And the most simple way, of course, to praise God is by the word of our mouth, the fruit of our lip. As I read in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse number 8, the fruit of our lip upon the altar as a sacrifice of praise. Have you ever seen that in the Bible? Well, you ought to see it in the Bible. It's Hebrews 13, 8. I'm, I think I'm correct about the reference. Uh, the fruit of our lip upon the altar uh, as a sacrifice of praise. Now, I think most of us can understand what we mean by a sacrifice of time and a sacrifice of personality and personnel and a sacrifice of money. And uh, our, our people, many of our people give liberally and sacrificially and go beyond the tithe. Many of our people go beyond the tithe uh, in their giving, and when they do, they make real sacrifice to do so. But I read in that uh, Hebrews 13 that I'm to make a sacrifice of praise upon the altar. And that's something the poorest man in our community can do. You don't have to have money, no education, no door. In fact, anybody can make a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord with a melody, uh, with a shout, or as described in these uh, Verses I've just read to you out of the Psalms with musical instruments. Well, if I could play the saxophone like Brother Don does, I'd play it every, play it every time I could. If I could play the piano, I'd play it every time I could. And I wouldn't play anything but a good hymn that would glorify God. If I could play the organ like Brother Hobart, I'd play it every time I could. 
And I pray the songs that will glorify God, you see. We can glorify Him and praise Him with these instruments. We can praise Him with the trumpet. And we can praise Him with the cymbals. And we can praise Him in other ways as described in the last song. And then we can praise Him with the fruit of our lips. And that's what our words. We can put uh, our words of praise upon the altar as a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. And that ought to be done. Men ought always to praise God. In season, out of season, men ought always to praise God. Now I want to read to you from Second Corinthians 1. And I, I speak to you at the text from verse number 3. Second Corinthians 1, verse number 3. Paul in verse 1, An apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now most of you who are students of the Bible well recognize that the second uh, book of Corinthians was written uh, more or less to uh, defend Paul's apostleship. There was some in the church of Corinth uh, that had some reservations and some doubt as to whether Paul was that uh, twelfth apostle to fill the place of Judas Iscariot who lost his bishopric. Uh, but I believe, I don't have any difficulty believing that Paul is God's choice. And Paul says so in verse number one, that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now I'm aware of the fact that the Bible records the fact in Acts chapter 1, that the eleven selected Matthias. And I'm sure that Matthias would qualify. I'm sure that Matthias was a godly man, an humble man, a spirit-anointed man. As far as we know, uh, he would qualify as an apostle in every single way, uh, except one way. He was just not God's choice. God's choice was Paul, and I think that, that's uh, unmistakable. But back in the old days, before the Acts of the Apostles were written, and before the uh, New Testament was written, there were many who had some doubt about Paul's apostleship. Uh, some thought that he was presumptuous to push himself, uh, so to speak, into that uh, circle of the eleven. And uh, if he's not an apostle, that's exactly what he was guilty of. He was being presumptuous uh, to present himself in that kind of a, a light, or that kind of a position. And uh, many, no doubt, were champions of Matthias. Don't you well know that Matthias had many friends in that day? I don't think he would have been uh, selected uh, to fill that place had he not been a popular man and a man with many friends. And when those friends of Matthias recognized what Paul was doing, why many of them rose up, rose up uh, in the defense of Matthias and against the Apostle Paul. And we find the situation now has affected the church at Corinth already the church of Corinth has had all kinds of carnal problems in the first epistle that we read about. They had all kinds of division and strife. They had some false doctrine that had permeated them. They carried the matter of the gifts of the Spirit too far. And Paul had to rebuke them in First Corinthians for that. And uh, a lot of things wrong with the church of Corinth. And I don't want to be one necessarily to criticize the church of Corinth. No more than I criticize the church of Tabernacle. I think the church of Corinth, no doubt, had a lot of good things that you could well say about it. One good thing, it was founded by a great soul, the Apostle Paul. And yet, there was carnality and strife and division and envy and spiritual immaturity. And Paul said, I would that I could have written unto you as unto spiritual, but I could not because there is yet envy and strife and division among you. And when I see these things, I know that you're not spiritual and mature, you're still a babe. And you're still on a milk diet when by now you should have been upon a meat diet. And uh, so that's in First Corinthians. But in Second Corinthians, Paul has to uh, take up this matter of the questioning of his apostleship by the same congregation of people. And in that congregation, maybe 
there were many friends of Matthias who, when they recognized Paul was presenting himself as the twelfth apostle, rose up and said, no, not so. Did not the eleven select Matthias? And they did, in fact, in Acts chapter 1. But Paul defends his apostleship. Now, since the New Testament is written, and since we know of Paul's Macedonian call, since we know of his three missionary tours, and since we know of his utter abandoned devotion to God, I don't think anybody in this building tonight would question whether Paul is the twelfth apostle. We all know Paul and his ministry and his devotion, and we will all concede with proper respect to Matthias that it's Paul who is to fill the place of Judas' carrot and not Matthias. Now Paul says in verse number 1, uh, in Second Corinthians 1, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In another place he said, I am an apostle from my mother's womb. It was God's purpose and plan the whole time that Paul be exactly what he was. Did not Jesus say when he selected the twelve that I have chosen twelve, one of you is a devil. And Jesus knew which one the devil was. The apostles didn't know. One of the most interesting things I've ever read in the New Testament is there at that last supper when the Lord revealed to them that one that takes up with me will betray me. And one by one, those disciples began saying, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Under the one, all the way around the circle, each one of them said, Is it I? Which tells me that all twelve of them recognized that potentially there was sin lying at the door. And potentially, it might have well been them. But don't you well know that our Lord knew exactly which one it was. One of you is a devil. Now, if God chose one who would betray him and who would lose his bishopric, then is it not logical that God would select another from his mother's womb to fill that vacancy? There's to be twelve apostles. Their names are inscribed in the twelve foundations of the holy city, the New Jerusalem. Not eleven, but twelve. And Paul is one of those twelve whose name is inscribed in the foundation of that holy city. Now, the original twelve are named for the first time in Matthew chapter 10. But Judas is out of the way, and now Paul is an apostle by the will of God. And I say amen to that. There's no doubt in my mind in the least, but that Paul is the apostle of Jesus our Lord. And, Tim and Timothy, our brother, who is the constant companion of Paul in his missionary work, along with Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and Luke the well-beloved, uh, and the greatly beloved physician, besides many others who are constantly at the side of the apostle in his missionary tours. Now Timothy is at his side under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. He writes this second epistle to the church of God, which is at Corinth, the same Corinthian church that we read about in the first epistle of Corinthians. Now in verse 2, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, the two of man's greatest needs. And if you ever have grace and peace, then everything else doesn't amount to a great deal. If you have grace, the grace of God in your heart, and the peace of God in your heart, you may be poor, but that doesn't count. You may be unpopular, but that doesn't count. You may be sick, but that doesn't count. You may be friendless, but you've got a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. 
Grace and peace are the two attributes that every sinner needs. And grace and peace cannot be purchased at the market with silver or gold. You can only get it at Calvary when you come to confess the Lord Jesus as personal Savior. Grace and peace, said Paul, be unto you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, he burst out in a note of praise when he said, Blessed be God. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to look at that. That's my text. Blessed be God, said Paul. Now, I, he's, not, he's not one of these poor fellows like I am. He's not one of these uneducated fellows like I am. He's not just an average fellow like I am, and maybe below average. This is Paul I'm reading about. And Paul, the great apostle who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul, who had the gift of languages to the degree that he alone could have instigated and inaugurated the three missionary tours that characterized his life. I'm talking about one of the most gifted men, no doubt, that's ever lived in all history. And this man breaks out from the inside with a word of praise, like the psalmist commands when he said, Blessed be God. Amen. I want you to see that. Don't you ever forget it. Now, that, uh, uh, people kind of expect me and you, you know, to be a little bit uh, emotional, a little bit simple, because we're just simple southern people from the Bible Belt. We haven't been exposed to Harvard and Princeton, and we haven't been exposed to science and literature. We're just simple people. We talk like colored people, you know. And we're lazy with our speech, and we're ignorant in our thinking, and we hardly know how to get out of the rain in the South, you know. We have to have our northern neighbors to come down and tell us how to get out of the rain. And if we didn't have our northern neighbors, we'd be in bad shape in the South, you know. You Yankers are real good to us to put up with us Southerners, you see. We're simple people. And everybody expects us to, you know, to kind of be shallow and lighthearted, a little flippant, a little emotional. But I'm not talking about a Southern. I'm talking about Paul. <laughs> Amen. I'm not talking about uh, a sandlapper. I'm talking about Paul. Amen. Paul, the apostle, said, Blessed be God. Now, I don't know how he's going to sit with some of you northern students here tonight. Now, if you've got a word of criticism to say about Tabernacle, you write your pastor and ask him to explain verse 3. And if he can't explain verse number 3, you keep your mouth shut. Amen. Blessed be God, said Paul in that verse. He sure did, didn't he? Is that the way your Bible reads? If it doesn't, you haven't got a King James Bible. Mine reads, Blessed be God. And I haven't bothered with that verse, by the way. I can read it in my Bible. Does yours read that way, Brother Horn? It sure does. Amen. Blessed be God, said Paul. Yes, sir, Brother. Yours reads that way, too. Amen, Brother Burns. I thought it did, Brother. Blessed be God. Now that, that's great. Let me get on. Let me get on here. I got a lot I want to say. Blessed be God, said Paul. Now I, I think the thing that prompts him to give this bursting forth of praise in that verse is the fact that he is an apostle by the will of God. 
That's enough to stir a man to have a happy spell within his heart. And then to be related to these saints of God, which are at Corinth, that he makes mention of in verse number 1. And then to have received grace and peace. All you are, he's talking about. He was not giving a theological lecture in verse number 2. He was talking about what he had experienced in his heart. He had received grace and peace. And having received grace and peace, himself, he burst out and said, Blessed be God. I wonder what Dr. Luke thought. Now, he was a nice, sophisticated fellow, Dr. Luke. I wonder what he thought when Paul had that happy spell. I wonder what Timothy thought. Timothy was right at his side. Timothy was a graduate of Furman. <laughs> or he might have been a graduate of Pop Jones. Why didn't you laugh at that one? <laughs> I wonder what Timothy thought. I bet Timothy thought, what about that? Look at that grade. Oh, that great preacher, this great uh, master of linguistics. Look at that man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Look at that apostle, the only one of the twelve uh, that, uh, that has any degrees, that has any formal training. Look at Paul. He's acting like one of these southern preachers. <laughs> Blessed be God, said, said Paul. Blessed be God. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I believe the book, and I, I don't have the kind of religion that makes me uh, have to endure it. I have the kind that I can enjoy. And a man came to my office the other day, and he said, uh, I'm from a certain family in the city, and my family operates a certain business, and I'm from that group. And that, I knew the family by name, and I would have called it, many of you would know it, but I'll not do that. He's trying to sell me uh, uh, some good things, talk about some good things. And he wanted me to know he was from a, a well-to-do father in our city and a family of leaders in our city. And when he said that, I said, well, I'm from on the other side of the railroad tracks where the poor boys live. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> and that's just about true, tell you the truth. You go down to East Washington and cross the railroad, that's why I was right up. Don't, don't stop to get on the other side of the tracks. That's my crowd. My crowd is the poor crowd. My people are the humble people of this city. I've always been and they still are. And I'm proud of that way. But let's get back to Paul. He's a great soul. Blessed be God, he says. Even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father of mercies. And the God of all comfort. And this is why he's so jubilant. And so lifted and so blessed in his heart. That he, he, he spontaneously erupts. Blessed be God. Now about this God of mercy and God of comfort in verse number 4. Who comforteth us in all of our tribulations. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. And no doubt the sufferings of Christ did abound in Paul. When you take your stand for the book, you're going to suffer the reproach of Christ. When you take your stand for the church, you're going to suffer the reproach of Christ. When you take your stand for old-time clean Christian living, you're going to suffer the reproach of Christ. When you take your stand with common people, you're going to suffer the reproach of Christ. When you take your stand with old-fashioned emotional people that praise God, you're going to suffer the reproach of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our 
consolation aboundeth by Christ Jesus our Lord. When I suffer, he comforts. When I suffer, he gives grace. When I'm persecuted, he gives grace. When I have tribulation, he gives consolation. When I have trouble, he solves my problems, you see. And that's why Paul gets happy in verse 3 and says, Blessed be God. Now I want you to note the word blessed. You wouldn't say blessed be the man. Uh, you would say uh, the man is blessed, but you would not say the man is blessed. To say, and the word is spelled exactly the same way, but pronounced two different ways, much like the thee uh, and thou's in the King James Bible. One reason I love this Bible is because of the these and thou's. In the New Translation, they change all that uh, to you. But I, I prefer the these and thou's in the Bible. I sure do. And you would not say about a man that he's blessed. You might say of a man that he's blessed. Paul was blessed by the infilling of the Spirit and by the warmth that bursted up and erupted out of his heart. He was blessed by the wells of Bethlehem springing up from his head. And he expressed that blessedness by saying in the words of my text, Blessed be God. But you say only in reference to God. Blessed! Blessed be God! And so I'm convinced that Paul praised God in verse number 3. Just like we attempt to praise God in our own services, as we did here tonight. Yes, when Mrs. Uh, 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 Brother Horn's daughter sang here a while ago, Ruth, she had no idea what I was going to praise. And yet she sung about, I will praise him. I will praise him. I'll even said, Brother Long, she has no idea what I'm going to preach. Well, I'll take her right along that line. What about that? Now, Paul broke out and said, Blessed be God. Now, you and I ought to praise God. I showed it to you in Hebrews 13. I read it to you a moment ago from Psalms uh, 115. We ought to praise God. Bless ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath in him praise ye the Lord. And Dr. Green used to say, If you're not going to praise God, drop dead. I'm not quite as hard as he is, but he say that so convincingly until you feel your heart. Let everything that breath in him praise ye the Lord. Everybody ought to praise God one way or another. Now I find, I find praise all over the Bible. Now in the New Testament, I find the word prophesy, and I want to, I'd like to use that word a bit tonight and show you something about what the word prophesy means. I, I find, I, I find in 1 Thessalonians 5.20, where Paul said, despise not prophesying. And then I find also in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, uh, prophecy will fail. Prophecy. There are three gifts in 1 Corinthians 13 that have passed away. The gift of knowledge, the gift of tongues, and the gift of prophesying. The gift of prophecy. Those three uh, uh, gifts passed away in the days of the apostles. And nobody since the apostles had either of those three. Knowledge to write the inspired scriptures of God. Prophesying to the degree that you can predict the future. And speaking with tongues, according to Acts 2.4, those three gifts died with the apostles, as sure as you live. The tongues we have in our day are a fraud and a counterfeit. They are not Acts 2.4 at all. But the word prophesying, the word prophesy, if you've studied hermeneutics so well, that it, means, it has a twofold meaning. It means to foretell, and then it means to foretell. 
to foretell in the note of prophecy, that's the sign that has ceased. In the note of prediction, that's the sign that has ceased. James 4.14, for no man knoweth what may be on tomorrow. That includes any preacher and every preacher in America. Not one of us can predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Not one. President Nixon doesn't know. President Carter doesn't know. And the leaders of the Senate do not know. The leaders of the House of Representatives do not know. Our governor does not know. No man knows what may be on tomorrow. There is not one predictive prophet in the world tonight. And there has not been a single predictive prophet since the apostles. Not one. Through all the dark ages, there was not one predictive prophet. Right? Through all the Protestant revelation, there was not one predictive prophet. Through all the period of the great uh, Philadelphian church, there is not one predictive prophet. And down unto our day, the day of the Laodicean church, there is not one predictive prophet in the world. Not one. You read Gene Nixon, a uh, Dixon, you ought to have your head examined if you do. She doesn't know any more about what's going to happen tomorrow than I do. Or somebody else. The, the, the woman that hangs out, uh, the uh, shingle, palmist, palmist, stop in. I read your palm and tell your fortune. She's a fraud. The Bible says no man knows what may be on tomorrow. They gaze into a crystal ball and they can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. They're crooks and they're frauds. You're foolish. If you spend your money for that kind of a thing, if you believe that kind of a thing, you're foolish. No man knows. No priest knows. No Baptist preacher knows. No evangelist knows. No missionary knows. There has not been one predictive prophet since the apostles. That's one of the three gifts that passed away. But I said a moment ago that the word prophesy does not only mean to predict or to, forth, or to foretell, but it means to foretell, to fort, uh, to foretell the truth of God. Now those two words are very similar. To foretell means to predict. To foretell means to preach, or to present, or to testify. Now that's the thing that we still have in the way of prophecy. That's why you have the word used in First Thessalonians 5.20. Despise not prophesying. That's why you have the word used in Acts 20 and verse 9 in relation to the four daughters of Philip, the evangelist, or one of the first deacons. You'd have a lot of difficulty explaining those four young ladies in Philip's house, if you didn't know what I'm about to say to you and what I'm trying to say to you, Philip the evangelist who led the eunuch to the Lord in Acts chapter 8, later on is introduced to the Bible in Acts chapter 20 as the father of four young ladies. I don't think God calls a woman to preach. No reflection upon a woman. I'm sure that there are women in this building tonight that are as much qualified to preach as any man as far as human qualifications are concerned. And I'm sure that they're just uh, women just as good as any man in this building. I'm sure of that. But it just so happens that God ordains that a man preach the gospel. Let the bishop be the husband of one wife. It'd be kind of hard to do that any other way. Except he'd be a masculine. To be the husband of one wife. And I believe that, I take that literally, you see. The husband of one wife. He must be a man, therefore, to have a wife. And then other places in the Bible. The Bible is clear. By precept. You don't find women preaching uh, in the New Testament. You don't find women speaking in tongues, in fact. In verse Corinthians chapter number 12, uh, Paul spells out very clearly, chapter 14, spells out very clearly that a woman is not to speak in the church. That is, speak in tongues in the church. She's not to do it. Because tongues then were a special revelation that God gave to a certain group. 
And he didn't give that to women, you see. And there were no women among the twelve apostles. I don't know what ERE plans to do about that. They might reorganize the apostles and drop a few names and add a few more. Wouldn't be surprised any foolish thing that some people try to do. But uh, there were no women among the twelve. They were all men. Preachers were men in the New Testament. And so it is in the Old Testament in relation to the priest. Uh, they were all men. The priests were all men. And all the deacons of the New Testament were men. The first seven deacons, their names are given in the Acts of the Apostles, were men. And I question whether this will, the will of God that a woman serve on a deacon board. I question whether it's the will of God that a woman be ordained. But how are you going to get around that Acts 29? Chapter 20, verse 9, where, where it says Philip had four daughters which did prophesy. Which did prophesy. Now what it is, those four young ladies testified with jubilance and joy. They praise God. And to prophesy not only means to predict, but it also means to praise God or to testify with a note of jubilance and joy within your heart. Now with that light, you can understand about Philip's daughters, which did prophesy. They were not preachers. They did not make any predictive prophets, uh, prophecies, but rather they stood up and give words of testimony with jubilance and praise. And that's what prophesying in the New Testament in our age is all about. And when you stand up to praise God, or you stand up to preach with enthusiasm and joy, like Paul in verse number 3. Now Paul is prophesying in verse number 3 when he gave that testimony, Blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the God of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's prophesying. That's not predicting. But that's prophesying in the New Testament sense of the word. Now that gift has not passed away. And that command has not passed away. And we that are redeemed are to prophesy in that degree right down till this day. And I, I submit to you that all of us need to become engaged in it. Every one of us needs to become engaged in prophesying. We ought to stand up with jubilance to give a good testimony. We ought to stand up with joy and jubilance to preach the word of God. And when we stand up with enthusiasm and joy to sing or preach, we'll prophesy by so doing. Now that's the kind of thing Paul said, despise not, despise not prophesying. Now when a saint of God gets happy in the Lord, the scriptures command me not to despise that. And then in the next verse it says, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying, quench not the spirit. Now when a saint of God gets up to prophesy, that is to praise the Lord with jubilance, then you have no right to despise that person. You let that person alone. I've been pastoring this church into 28 years, and I've had no trouble with these folk that praise God. I have trouble with the folk that have their tongues tied in the middle and loose on both ends, the gossip. The other ones that I have trouble with. I don't have any trouble with somebody that will praise God. We ought to praise God. Men ought to praise God. And don't you despise people who praise God. You let folk who praise God alone and let them praise the Lord, you see. Let them prophesy. Philip's daughters did prophesy. And we ought to prophesy. Uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 6. The testimony of Jesus. 
Now when you stand up and give the testimony of Jesus, when you talk about his death and his burial and his resurrection, the Bible says that is the spirit of prophecy. That's the spirit of proclaiming truth. And there's nothing in the world that moves my heart more than the testimony of Jesus. That's the spirit of prophecy in the age of the church. Now let me give you another illustration of the use of the word prophesy from the Old Testament in the sense of not foretelling, but forthtelling the truth of God with jubilance and joy. Back in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, uh, Moses is weighted down with the weight of judges of the people of Israel. And his responsibilities are so many and so heavy until Jethro, his father, his father-in-law, says, now you're going to die. You need help. And Moses said, I think I can handle it. And he ignored his father-in-law. But, but the more Moses thought about the uh, suggestion and the recommendation from his father-in-law, the more he saw the wisdom of that older man when he said, you need heifers. And so one day Moses said, I recognize now I need help. And he prayed about it and God said, Moses, you take 70 elders. You pick out 70 elders. And I imagine Moses about picked out what he thought to be the 70 best men in all the camp of Israel. And God said, well, you select those 70 men. You carry them up to the tabernacle and I'll meet with you. And I'll take the Spirit of God from upon you. And I'll place the Spirit upon those 70 elders for the first time. Now remember, I'm talking about an, an Old Testament experience. In the New Testament, that doesn't happen that way. We live in a different uh, administration. We live in a different dispensation. In the New Testament, the moment you get born again, you have the Holy Spirit come to abide right then. You don't have to go back and get the Holy Spirit. No. You have the Holy Spirit abiding right then. In this day. Joel the prophet said 800 years before Pentecost. In the last days. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That's the prophecy of Joel. And that's the prophecy that Peter said. This is that. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And Joel lived 800 years before Peter. And said 800 years before Pentecost. The time would come when God would change his economy. And put his spirit upon handmaidens. And servants. And young men. And old men, without any distinction, upon every man, regardless of who he was, in the age of the church, that's exactly the operation of God in our day. But in the Old Testament, that's not the way God worked. He placed the Spirit only upon a hand-picked group of elders. Now when those 70 elders went up to the tabernacle and met with Moses and God, God placed the Spirit upon those 70 men for the first time in their life. And they were not young men, they were older men, they were elders. Tested, seasoned, and found faithful. And I'm told that two of those men got so beside themselves. Now you watch this. I'm not telling you a story. I'm not telling you a fable. This is in Numbers 11. And you can read it for yourself. I'd take time to read it if I had the time to do it. But it's uh, the latter part of the chapter. About a number of verses involved. And uh, two of those men got so filled up with the Spirit of with the testimony of Jesus. They got so filled up with the goodness of God. And they got so filled up with the Spirit of God. Until they did prophesy. They couldn't contain themselves. They did prophesy. And their names are Eldad and Medad. The names of the other 68, nice, quiet, 
university graduates are not recorded. The only two recorded are two from the other side of the railroad track, named Eldad and Medad. Common boys that didn't mind getting stirred up a little bit and saying hallelujah. The rest of the fellows had their names perish. Now, I'm not mad at you, but I couldn't prove what I've just said, but I'll paraphrase a bit. But I can prove that Eldad and Medad did prophesy, and none of the rest of them did. None of the rest of them did. And uh, they were down in the street, having a street meeting. And I think Eldad had his pocket full of God's simple plan of salvation. And he was getting out tracks, everybody come along, I'm reading between the lines. And the other was preaching. And he was laying it on. I mean, he was uh, going through all the gestures. He was uh, screaming out with a loud voice. He didn't have an amplifier. But he was preaching on the street in the camp of Israel. And Joshua then just graduated from college. Just a young fellow then, long before Moses died. He walked up on Eldad and me, Dad, as they prophesied in the street. And he'd never seen these elders so beside themselves. And some of you never have seen a good woman like Mrs. Moe walk around and clap her hands. Some of you never seen anything like that till tonight. I hope you'll dream about it till you die. Right. You need it. And you're going to need it worse when you get out there in the field and you look into the faces of a hundred people twice dead and cooked up by the roots. You're going to need somebody with a little bit of joy. I hope you'll never forget what you find here at Tabernacle. You say, well, I think it's put on. Well, I tell you, just stay away next Sunday night and let somebody else have your seat, please. If you don't think it's real, don't come back. be a waste of your time, you'd bother us. So you just don't come back. If you think it's real, hang around. I think it's so real that I've been hanging around for a long time. My wife said, what time are we going to church tonight? I said, as early as we can get there, please. It's so real that I can't get here enough. When I drive up and I see Clifford's car, I, I, I kind of let down. I said, to my wife, old Clifford beat me to church. I saw Arthur's car. I said, tonight, Arthur beat me to church. And I was a little bit disappointed. I want to beat them to church. I like it. Amen. And Joshua never had seen anybody prophesy. And there was the old enemy that all lifted up prophesying. And he looked down the end of his nose and despised it and ran to the tabernacle as hard as he could go. And when he found Moses, he said, My Lord, Moses, forbid them. Forbid them. Stop him. Stop him. Held at him, me dad, do prophesy in the street. And uh, Moses said, now wait a minute, young man. You just calm down. It's not as bad as you think it is. And I'd like to say that to some of you. You just calm down. Keep your feet on the floor. And Moses said, uh, would to God. Now you read it in your Bible. I've read it so many times until I don't have to read it. I think I know it from memory. Because I have to have this proof text there once in a while because people despise me for prophesying. I have to have some grounds for my doctrine. And I think I've got all the grounds I need. Amen. Amen. Joshua said, forbid them. Forbid them. Stop them. Stop them. Moses said, now son, everything's all right. He said, would to God not only did Eldad and Medad prophesy, 
But he said, would to God that the whole camp of Israel did prophesy. Now he sure said that. And if you doubt my testimony, you read it in your Bible, Numbers 11. The last half of the chapter. Would to God the whole camp would burst out, said Moses. I wish everybody in the camp what they had, had what they had me as God. I wish everybody would do what Paul did when he burst out from the joy of his infant man. He said, Blessed be God! Some of you people never heard nobody say amen, let alone, Blessed be God. Your church is quiet and dead as a funeral home. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. We need somebody to break. We need somebody to praise God, don't we? Blessed be God, said Paul. Blessed be God. And he did prophesy when he wrote this uh, second Corinthian epistle in verse number three. He got filled up. He, he had something springing up on the inside. Uh, I, I don't always have that uh, reality. I, I, I can't tell you what it's all about. I mean, I can't explain it to you. It's better felt than tell. But it's down here. It's down here just as real as, as I am. Is that, that lightness and that joy and that peace and that contentment? Do you uh, know kind of what I'm trying to say? And uh, you wouldn't believe it, but there's a melody down here in my heart. And all along, I can I can imagine the sweetest melody you just ever heard in your life. I have a lot of difficulty getting it out, but it's right down here. Sweet melody. And I just get filled up with the love of God. This book gets sweet to me, and the people get sweet to me, and the church gets sweet to me, and the gospel gets sweet to me. I've stood in my studio many a day and listened uh, to a song. Maybe uh, somebody's singing on the bright spot hour. Uh, maybe I got to thinking about the goodness of God. Tears begin to run down my eyes. Nobody's there but just me. You ever had anything like that? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. If you, if you think we just shout so you can see us, you ought to come around sometime when nobody here with us. <laughs> oh, brother, it's wonderful. In the kitchen, it's wonderful in the automobile. It's wonderful out at the prayer altar. It's wonderful up in the prayer room. It's wonderful on the job. It's wonderful at midnight. It's wonderful on my bed. It's wonderful when I sit down to eat. It's wonderful when I rise up to walk. It's wonderful when I get up to preach. This is wonderful. And it's real. Blessed be God! Now, you go out of here tonight and criticize the preacher and criticize Tabernacle Baptist Church. Uh, you just get your finger and put it on that third verse and shut your mouth. <laughs> Let the saints of God praise God. If the worst thing you ever do is to say hallelujah, you'll live to be an old man, that's for sure. And God knows will need somebody that'll say hallelujah. Somebody will say praise the Lord. We need somebody who'll say like Paul, blessed be God. Oh, that's great. That's great. And we won't tell her it will be that kind of a church. It's been that kind all these years. And we have no idea of changing or streamlining it. No, we won't go out on. And I hope when I'm gone, uh, God will put another preacher in the pulpit that will believe just like Paul believed. 
And just like we now believe, around till Jesus comes, God's people the tabernacle can be saying, Blessed be God. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.